0: Welcome to the Whiskey Sisters podcast. I am Inga Larissa. And I am Jennifer Rose. Together we will be bringing you a weekly whiskey podcast where we'll be discovering drams, exploring distilleries, talking to industry experts and sharing other whiskey adventures.
1: Not only will we be sticking our noses into our drams, but also into all things new and current in the whiskey universe, with a leading commentary, of course.
0: You're listening to the Whiskey Sisters podcast. With Inka Larissa and Jennifer Rose. So, yesterday we celebrated International Women's Day. Yay! Yay! <laughs> <laughs> uh, we thought it would be nice to talk about the history of women and the whiskey in today's episode.
1: But first, let's stick our noses into the latest whiskey news.
0: Stick your nose in it.
1: Inka, you've mentioned Rasse Distillery a few times in the past. How exciting is the news about the owners of Rassi opening a new distillery in Campbelltown?
0: I know, that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, I've really liked what they've been doing at Rasi. Their expertise expanded to Campbelltown, I think is great news. Mm-hmm. And actually, the distillery would be the first new whiskey distillery in the area in over 180 years. No way. pretty cool. Although, I just saw that there's another distillery opening in Campbelltown as well. Really? Yep. Uh, it's called Dalriata. Dal Riata. I don't nice. know exactly how you say it. I think that um, maybe means
1: like Scottish or Scotland, the old word for Scotland. I might be totally wrong on that. Isn't that Alba? I think it might sort of be the same, but I, I don't really,
0: know. Th- yeah, this other one is from the founder and owner of North Star Spirits. Oh, so
1: really? Interesting to see. So, so but, Campbelltown is on fire right now. Yeah, buzzing. So the McDahannish distillery will be um, a new farm to bottle distillery and the fourth base in the region that was once home to more than 30 in days gone by. That Ooh. I
0: can't even imagine that. Like 30 in that area. I know it's getting there now. Um, but yeah, that's a great, another difficult distiller name to add on the list for me to pronounce. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> so The intention is to start building the Distillery Visitor
1: Centre and their own Whiskey Club. Um, That's going to be next year in 2023. So they'll be creating a sustainable net zero distilling process, not using any fossil fuels. So that's pretty cool. And the plan is to use biological farming practices to ensure that they have a positive impact on the surrounding environment. And I love there's so much chat around environmentalism, Mm. as there should be, when we're thinking about um, new distilleries opening. Exactly. And so the recipe for this whisky is apparently said to be in keeping with the Campbelltown style.
0: Yeah, I like the, I like the sound of that because also the Rasi whisky um, is based on the older styles of Hebridean single malts with that mm-hmm. kind of subtle fragrant smokiness balanced with the dark fruits. Also, they will create new jobs in the area, which is nice. Um, yeah. Even at Rasi, I like that they were trying to hire some of the locals who had to leave to look for work, and mm-hmm. they had to leave the island. So now they were able to come back That's to so cool. work at the distillery. Yeah, yeah, I think it's really nice. And I'm sure these rural communities appreciate that the extra investment that these distillers are bringing to the area.
1: Absolutely. So some lovely whiskey news there, actually. Happy belated International Women's Day to you, Inca, and our listeners. Oh, to you too. (laughs) So it was... It was actually women, as you may well know, who used to do the hard yards of distilling and distribution in the pre-industrial era. This is me. you have got my glasses on and I'm in my historical mood. So back in the day, it was common practice to make spirits from the comfort of your home. How cool is that? Just whipping up a spirit storm in the house, (laughs) using the ingredients at hand. And the work was considered to be women's work. It was labor intensive of you know like real housework, maybe considered a bit boring and time consuming so perhaps the men were wondering if they would just maybe leave that to be the women's work Who knows? yeah they were happy to drink it though <laughs> <laughs> yeah I bet they were and there are records of women pharmacists making and selling alcohol for medicinal purposes in um in the 1200s as far back as that. And at the same time as brother John Corr was receiving eight balls of malt to make aqua vitae for King James IV at Lindor's Abbey in 1494, aqua vitae women were having to keep their production hidden as the king apparently only entrusted men with the supply. Oh, which- <gasps> bastard. <laughs> what is that about? I know. Like, not women not being trusted honestly that was hard and savage times and go the whiskey sisters that were just like <laughs> were, were just doing their own thing in spite of the crazy laws of the day so much respect to them honestly
0: also for our listeners if you're interested to hear more about the Lindor's Abbey you should go back to listen to our episode 4 where Helen Mackenzie Smith tells us more about the history of the site yeah I'm sure many unaware that the Bain Marie and Tripicos a three armed copper still were actually invented by a woman No Mary the Jews. Yep, sometime between the 1st and 3rd century. she's considered one of the most famous alchemists and gets credit of several chemical inventions. That is so cool. So, and wouldn't be any distilling without that still. Absolutely. And unfortunately,
1: it wasn't always smooth sailing and during a centuries-long witch hunt... Over 50,000 female distillers were charged with practicing black magic and burned as a consequence, which I have to say gets the rage burning within me. What is that all about? 50,000 females like charged with practicing black magic and burned like that is horrific, isn't it?
0: It is pretty creepy.
1: Freaking creepy, and
0: yeah. these
1: magical ladies like up to good things. So they, that paused the distilling scene for some time, and it didn't help that the arrival of the Industrial Revolution lowered the status of women. Um, but before then, women looking after the farms, distilling, and performing like such cool as well as useful economic roles, keeping them a little bit, I guess, you know, more equal to men. Mm-hmm. But around that time, I've read that becoming it was becoming more common for men to take, you know, the paid jobs in bigger cities. and There were less for women to do other than roles as a housewife. And no shame in a housewife role out there, of course. However, that resulted in women
0: losing their power within society. Boo. Piss. Women also fought to ban alcohol, but that's... <laughs> sounds like a good revenge you know are you taking our jobs we stop you from drinking because we kind of distilled before so if you <laughs> uh, but yeah that's a story for another time yeah we need to come back to that there is a juicy story there for sure so let's look into a few uh, important women within the history of distilling um, as Fred Minnick writes in his book Whiskey Woman by the way very interesting book recommended to everyone okay. um, Scottish wills and archives state that there have been more than 30 women in Scotland managing legy, legy- uh. <laughs> <laughs> managing distilleries such as Dalmore, Glenmorangie, Mar- Ardberg, Blair Athol, and Cardhu. Of course it wasn't just Scotland that had female distillery owners and there are actually records of women in Ireland and the US doing exactly that. Mm-hmm. Um, back in the day women were extremely uh, successful in distilling and most women who were running legal distilleries were doing so after their husbands had died so they taken over. Unfortunately female business owners records when always documented properly, if at all. Oh. Mm. And also they were using the initials on official documents, which makes it quite hard to know how many distilleries or landowners actually were women. Mm-hmm. Although again, uh, there are records in the US of few female named distilleries, for example, the Susan Johnson Distillery and Mary Jane Blair Distillery Company. Pretty cool. That is cool. So Jen, do you want to tell us a little bit about Helen and Elizabeth coming and they work at Cardu
1: Distillery? Absolutely. So, Cardu was a farm where Helen and her husband John were making illicit whiskey. So, due to the location of their farm, Helen could see when the officers were coming to visit. And I kind of love this. So, she had it going on. She would cover herself in flour <laughs> to make it look like she was baking. I'm just, I'm just <laughs> whipping up something tasty, officers. So while Kidnorn she was baking, to explain the smell, and she'd lift a flag up for other distillers to see and prepare themselves. Yes, come Very on, cool. Helen, yeah. <laughs> while she was like entertaining the officers with her scones or whatever. So in 1816, John was arrested a few times before the excise laws were eased and Cardew became the first legal side distillery in 1823. And how cool is this? Helen took care of operations until old age before her daughter-in-law, Elizabeth, took over both the farm and the distillery when Helen was an awesome 95 years old. Oh.
0: Maybe the secret for long, he- long age is whiskey. Well, I'm up for giving that a go.
1: Live, <laughs> lo- live long and drink whiskey. <laughs> so at that time, Elizabeth the, had recently been widowed had two sons, was pregnant again, and she was like an epic businesswoman. She could have sold the distillery apparently and lived super well, but she chose to keep the business going. She bought more land, built a new distillery, and was really meeting the demand for blending whiskey. In fact, she could have made even more whiskey to be sold, but as a mother of three sons, she wanted to make sure she had enough time to look after her family and refused to overwork. She was like rocking the work fast family life balance, sure. the juggle struggle, she had it down. And apparently she did sell the old distillery to William Grant. But over the years, the demand for blended whisky grew as we knew and the blenders were inflating their prices, buying distilleries to cut out the middlemen so they could make their own blends. So in 1893, Elizabeth sold the distillery to John Walker and Sons, as I'm sure most of us know later to be known as Johnny Walker, Keep walking Johnny and (laughs) she made sure that all her long standing employees would keep their jobs I do like think so much respect for these women you know Mm. one of her sons got a seat on the board with like shareholdings allowed her to keep the farm um, where some of the family lived rent free and later on her grandson apparently became the chairman of Johnny
0: Walker and like became super wealthy in the process definitely really really impressive history um, and talking about Elizabeth, there is another great lady of the same name that was running an Isla-based distillery. Elizabeth Williamson, a.k.a. Bessie, had come to uh, Laphroaig one summer to help Ian Hunter, then owner, as an office administrator. And she ended up staying there for 40 years. And when Hunter had a stroke he made Bessie the distillery manager. And once he passed away in 1954, he left the distillery for her, and he didn't even, well, he didn't have any family, so Bessie was the most qualified for the job. So He left it to her. That's so cool. I know. And I think it's cool that she just kind of came for a short while and ended up staying for that <laughs> long and then ended up running the distillery. It's just... <laughs> totally. She was quite loved by the locals. Okay. Um, I read. During the Second World War, she, war, she was um, helping to store the ammunition and an artillery at the distillery, and the boats would come to the shore, and she would sign off every shipment. Um, she even made the military to pay the expansion of the malt barns to allow <laughs> business as usual while <laughs> helping the government. So nice you know, hustle, <laughs> side hustle for Bessie. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Good on you. Um, and yeah, so she became an important part of the island life and taking part in beet cuttings and other activities. So she wasn't just running the business, but she was. Mm-hmm actually going like hands-on doing stuff um she held community dances at the distillery as well like kaylee's and stuff which is cool nice and yeah so when she was in charge of distillery the distillery's fame and sales continued to grow even through she had uh, more of a people first management style and she was known for hiring under qualified and elderly workers to help for them to earn some money for their families so that's quite so that sweet. sounds like so progressive like yeah no. it's the same like with the Eliz- the other elizabeth that she was making sure that all the employees could yeah make their jobs and stuff so it's nice and yet the scotch whiskey association even named bessie their u.s spokesperson between 1961 and 1964 it's pretty cool really really nice amazing whiskey
1: So so that we won't be biased to Scotland I wanted to also mention Ellen Jean who took over the Bushmills distillery after her husband passed away in 1865. Even before she was in charge the distillery provided equal opportunities by employing women and doing business with widows and I think these things are really nice to kind of think about because perhaps there might be some stereotypes around or some thoughts that that wouldn't have been the case but
0: Mm.
1: Ellen Jean transformed the distillery into international success and it would have been super easy to simply sell unaged whiskey for blenders but she insisted on every drop of their whiskey being aged on the premises and really wanted to guarantee the quality and consistency even when she sold the distillery um, she made sure to have a place on the board of the new company and until November last year the Bushmills master blender was a Helen Mulholland Making her the first Bourbon master blender in Ireland on yourself, <laughs> and her tasting her tasting panel consists only of women.
0: Cool. I think. Did you say Bourbon? Did I not say Bourbon? No. I, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Making her the first modern master blender. I think you said Bourbon master blender.
1: Did I? <laughs> Oh no, I must I must reduce the amount I drink before we record. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, oh. for what she said. See the tasting panel only consisting of women. Do you think that's because some people say that women's noses and like tasting abilities are quite in tune or on point?
0: Do you yeah. think that's to do with that? Yeah, definitely. I've I've read that one as well. Mm-hmm. That women just tend to detect different scents and are almost much, yeah, much better than men, but I don't know. So yes, okay, continuing with the stories, one of my favorite ones is a story, well, it's not really a story, well, the history of Jessie Roberta, aka Rita And she met her husband, Masataka Takesuru, in Glasgow in 1918, while he was studying chemistry and distillation. And his dream was to make real whiskey in Japan, and he came from a wealthy and well-connected Hiroshima sake brewer family so the passion for distilling made great sense and together they brought scotch whiskey distillation techniques to japan in 1920 the couple mm-hmm. got married and finally moved to japan to help to set up the japan's first whiskey distillery now known suntori mm-hmm. and after that they created an independent distillery dai nippon kayu which was renamed Nika Whiskey Distilling Company. For four decades, she supported her husband and helped to build the most successful distilleries in the country. That's so you a- could mm-hmm. say that mm-hmm. she was the mother of Japanese whiskey. So this Scottish lady from Glasgow was, you know, started the whole yeah. Japanese whiskey scene, which is really so, cool. So
1: influential and an amazing couple by the sounds of things.
0: Yeah, I'm looking forward to just talking a little bit more about Japanese whiskey. Um, and they interest in scotch and how they kind of produced all the single malts based in scotch whisky. So that will be fun. Definitely. In the future.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And just so many great women, really, Inc, isn't there? You know, also Mm -hmm. in the US, for example, Marjorie Samuels of Maker's Mark. But before we run out of time, I think it's important to mention some of the great women working in the spirits industry today, of
0: which there are so many, right? Yes, you can find many inspiring and hardworking women in in several positions within the drink industry, like not just whiskey, but all over mm-hmm. um, and all over the world as well. Whether it's gin, whiskey, tequila, vodka, crapa, um, women are master distillers, master blenders, operational managers, distillery owners, sales reps, whiskey sommeliers, uh, whiskey sommeliers. Yeah. What's <laughs> <Was> that thing? <laughs> For sure. I want it to be a thing. Yeah.
1: Can we, yeah, can we make our own course and just become that?
0: Yeah. Yeah. That would be really cool.
1: New business cards for the Whiskey Sisters. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, let's think Joyce Spence is the first female master blender in the spirits industry, a title she earned at Appleton Estate in 1997. Dr. Rachel Barry became Scotland's first modern female master blender in 2003, paving the way for other women in the whisky industry. And that kind of links us in actually to a future episode where we'll think about some of the whiskies that she is involved in um, at the moment. At Glendronach, Benriach, and Genglasa, but we'll come back mm. to that.
0: Yeah, and then we have Leslie Crazy, who has worked with William Grant and Sons for over 30 years. And she came up with the recipe for Hendrix Gin and is still their master distiller. So she's she's been there for a long while creating really, really interesting gins. Uh, Kirstine Campbell is the master whiskey maker at the Macallan, making her the first woman to hold the title.
1: There's so many, literally, and I'm thinking Emma Walker, the Mm. master blender of Johnny Walker, and half of her blending team are women. Yeah,
0: how funny is that she's called Emma Walker, even if she's not related to John Walker. I know, it's got a good flow. Yeah. That That was destined, wasn't it? Definitely.
1: And, of course, Annabelle Thomas, who started Nick Neen Distillery to change the way the world sees Scotch whisky. And, you know, super excited to announce that Annabelle will be joining us for a future episode. And the Whisky Sisters on tour will be heading to Nick Neen later as part of our road trip.
0: Oh, contain the yes. excitement. <laughs> Amazing. Um, yeah, that will be so much fun. And it would be really nice to have her on the show and just talk about yeah. what's happening at Nick because there's so much going on. Yeah, and this list anyway with all these names would go on and on and on. There's actually... So many women in the industry. So we better stop for now before we <laughs> start boring our listeners. They just like, oh my god, they're just listing more and more names. like, just. <laughs> but yeah, it's nice to see so many inspiring women working in the spirits field and helping to make the male dominant industry a bit more equal to all.
1: Definitely, absolutely.
0: Whiskey Sisters, Whiskey Fact.
1: It is time for our Whiskey Facts. Inka, come on, hit us with it. What do you want <laughs> for us to do?
0: Okay. So, did you know that the shape of the still can tell you about the flavor of the whiskey? <gasps> Do you know I
1: actually did know this? Because I've been watching some YouTube videos. I've been doing my homework. That, that being said, I can't actually remember
0: <laughs> yeah. anything they
1: said about what sheep does what. But I kind of knew it was a thing.
0: Uh, okay. So obviously there are many factors that contribute to the flavour of whiskey, But you can tell about the basic characteristics by looking at the stills. So taller and slimmer pot stills uh, produce smooth and milder whiskies. when shorter pot stills make fuller and stronger whiskey okay. and the wider stills have more uh, surface area than the narrow stills and they tend to produce less oily and more refined spirit than their skinnier counterparts. Obviously mm-hmm. none of it is like which one is better it's just different. Yeah. And the separation of heavier and lighter substances can also be achieved with a boil ball in the lower part of the still neck. And the ball causes some of the spirit to be redirected into the pot before it gets to the neck, contributing to lighter, more floral, and fruity flavors. Mm. Um really the distillation is all about the alcohol vapors. So how quickly the vapor forms, how much it has to, uh, how much time it has to rise, how much copper it touches and how co- quickly it's cooled will affect how the whiskey will taste. Um and the shape of the still dictates all of the vapor interaction. That's basically it.
1: So check out those shapely stills on your next distillery tour. Mm,
0: stills are really nice to look at, aren't they?
1: Definitely. That's plenty. So on episode three, I spoke a little bit about my experiences in investing in a cask and how I chose cask88 as my broker. I am now super happy to announce that Sam and Harry from cask88 will be joining us next week for a bit of a chat.
0: Yeah, they've been very supportive of um, our Whiskey Sisters Whiskey journey. Um, so it'll be nice to host them. a good chat. Definitely. Pour yourself a dram and join us next Wednesday. And meanwhile, you can keep up to date on all things Whiskey Sisters on our Instagram at whisky podcast Twitter at whiskey sisters, and Facebook at whiskey sisters podcast.
1: Slanjenka. Bye, Jen. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> Yay.
0: Welcome.